And welcome to the latest edition of the Melts of Five Star Projects, an ongoing series within the Let Me Tell You Something canon, in which I, your co-host Lorcan Mullen, and your other Let Me Tell You Something co-host Simon Cross, discuss a match that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer has rated five stars or higher. And we've come into another five-star match, a semi-unexpected one, I think it's fair to say. It's not from... Well, it's partly from one of the usual sources, but not in the most common location. Simon, do you want to explain what match it is we're talking about today? We are talking about the match for the Rev Pro Undisputed Heavyweight Championship between the defending usual suspects on our five-star of fun, Will Ospreay, and someone new, Michael Oku. Had you heard much or anything about this gentleman, Simon, before we started No, this? not a sausage. I'd heard some mumblings and a grumblings that he was one of the more exciting young prospects in the British scene. And this whole match was obviously geared around making him look impressive against Will Ospreay, possibly even uncrowning him. Because I guess the concern has always been with Ospreay is that the Rev Pro title will never be his number one concern whilst he's essentially the top Gaijin heel of New Japan at the moment, seemingly taking the spot ahead of Jay White, who really has been a non-presence in New Japan since almost so soon after his Wrestle Kingdom main event against Kota Ibushi. And since then, Osprey won the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship and so was parading that belt with his other accoutrements that he gained across the year, including the Rev Pro Championship belt. It also allowed him to have the oversized IWGP World Heavyweight Championship around his shoulder or in his hand, and the more appropriately sized Rev Pro belt would be wrapped around his waist. But let's give something away. One thing that's unveiled at the end of this match is the new Rev Pro Championship, and I'll say it right now. It's a big one. It's trying to take over the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship as the stupidest proportion. <laughs> it, it does, you know, like, well, I was going to use the old term for it, but the Community Shield. I'm just saying, I, I think that's their source of inspiration. It looks like the old Rev Pro Championship belt reflected against a circus mirror. <laughs> In a hall of mirrors. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Why so big? I don't know. Well, you can say that about this match as well, Simon, can't you? You. We're going to not shatter the fourth wall particularly, but we're going to give you an idea around the production elements of this. One of the things we're trying to do to make our lives a little bit easier is uh, back record a number of episodes so that we've got time to, you know, we'll bulk record them together, the episodes, the, the standard episodes, the regular ones, the match of the weeks, the... Let me tell you something, discussions, the silver screen visions, that will hopefully give us some space. And then the five stars come in. And one of the reasons that we chose Thursday as the release date is it gives us the maximum number of days 
between the new Wrestling Observer being released on the Friday and the subsequent Thursday. So we've got a six-day period with which to hopefully turn around in time to watch the match if we haven't watched it, which was the case with this one, and record and edit and upload. We've got a tight schedule this week in our personal lives, hence the recording we're doing tonight is quite a late one. I know some of you are uh, gasping right now, but yes, even though we recreationally do a podcast, we still have personal lives. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's one more than the other usually. We're never usually both this busy. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) One of us has gaps. When I sent you the text, I knew you were going to do this as well, I have to confess, Simon. That's why today, this morning, I I sent you a text asking, have you watched it yet? And you said no. And I said, okay, word of advice, it's going to be an hour's watch from entrances to post-match. To which I think there was some sort of expletive in your reply. <laughs> and then a suggested recording time, which was like, oh man, I've usually got my trousers off at that point, and I'm in my joggers ready for the evening to end. You see, you're talking to a man who's a perennial home worker, so mm. tr- trousers are a thing of the past. It's joggers <laughs> 24-7, baby. <laughs> it's not. It's six o'clock and you're in your underwear. Hey, this ain't the Ritz. <laughs> Whereas you're like um, Alec Baldwin on 30 Rock. Uh, are you in a tuxedo? It's after six. What What, what are you, a farmer? <laughs> uh, someone who I wouldn't be surprised coming out in a tuxedo for a match in the future would be Will Ospreay. Oh, do you reckon? Well, his whole thing is that he's just a prick and an overdresser. He still doesn't seem to have fully found his final form as the heel king of wrestling, essentially, is what he's sort of trying to project himself as. You know how I was saying that Jay White is like an evil Black Mirror version of Hiroshi Tanahashi? Mm-hmm. I get the sense that Osprey is to Okada what White is to Tanahashi. That's the way they're trying to go with this. Okay, right. And maybe part of that is Will Osprey's desire for championship matches to be epics of epic epicness. Yeah. Because this match clocks in, I think, at 40 minutes... 11 seconds. From bell to bell, that is. Yeah, not factoring in pre-match promo, post-match angles. I did like, actually, the pre-match promo of them talking about their own status and how Osprey perceives Oku as an upstart and everything. It feels like the English translation of those pre-match videos you'll often get for New Japan events where, like, Kota Ibushi or Tetsuya Naito or someone's wistfully looking out in a, in, you know, on a bridge somewhere <laughs> whilst Okada's in a fancy bar on his own having a drink, <laughs> both reflecting on what's brought them to this moment. It's kind of like when football, like for big, before big matches, sometimes they do like a little like two minute like throwaway piece and it's, um, there's always like a track, a indie track as the bed. It's a guy like, talking about his rise through the team or something like that no in, th- in this specific case it worked because obviously i don't really follow rev pro so it's like who is michael oko oh that's who michael oko is awesome and again nice simple accessible story you brought my mum into it i'm like wow he's a prick <laughs> fucking kill him michael <laughs> this is the thing isn't it like will osprey is desperately trying to be king heel which is difficult i don't know if it is with will osprey but the problem is that he's got to match up to his own real life activities, not his acting heel work. 
Ah, now see, I was going the other way. I was going to say it's difficult when you occupy the same space as JY, MJF, and I guess Roman, I would say, is it seems like a really good heel right now, although the story is seemingly a little stale at the moment. But yeah, he's not on those levels, but he's trying to like make up for it with really... I mean, what are like the most embarrassing moments of like the last 12 to 18 months? Was Will Ospreay Oscar-tering his own girlfriend? In terms of like, what's the point? What does it do? Especially with his own history, not to be fair of having like physically done something, but using his power to harm other people's business prospects and then being a prick about it. I think it's fair to say in the Twitter sphere or in the world of professional wrestling, his attitude towards women is definitely questionable. Yeah. Hence him then doing what he did with B Priestley. It was that notion of, oh, I'll do anything. And that, again, is played into in this match when he he puts his hand on Michael Oku's partner, who I believe is a female wrestler. That's the thing that bothers me about the B Priestley thing specifically. He says, oh, I'll do anything to like win, but... That wasn't even in the context of a match. You just you just hit your own girlfriend. You haven't hurt me in any way. That doesn't, like, get into my head. I'm Kurobushi. I guess it's meant to be in the notion of, you know, amorality. Like, he's not even immoral. He's amoral. He doesn't care. Or he enjoys being bad. It was dumb. Yes. And he got absolutely no reaction anyway, even, even though it was the COVID times. But... You can see where Osprey, you know, no one's disputing physically he's one of the most gifted performers of all time. And he is versatile. I mean, that was the big thing that Dave Meltzer was praising him for in this time. That he was basically saying he was the most complete wrestler in the world or something along those lines. Because he can do things like this where, like, there are brief flashes of the Osprey that we knew from a couple of years ago with, like, doing the fast moves, the sudden... Spanish flies out of nowhere, the bing kick or whatever. Any, like, sequence with Hiromu or someone like that. Like uh, him doing when Oku goes for the Rainmaker at one point and Osprey does it into the classic flipping all the way over and turning it into a powerbomb. I mean, he's visibly several steps ahead of Oku. I don't want to go too harsh on Oku, but there were several moments... He screwed up, he didn't do a springboard right, he lost his balance in a couple of places. And also, he's just not... He's very early into his career. I will defend Oku on one of the slips. Because it was post-Will getting swilled, as the kids say, having the drink thrown in his face. So there was water all over the the ringside area, which he clearly had stepped on. Because you see his... um, I can't remember the surname, but Connor. You see, you visibly see Connor before they very quickly cut away at one point, toweling off the soles of his shoes. So I think that's clearly what had affected him on that specific occasion. Yes, but is his corner man also using that moment to try and make him look good in comparison? Like making it like, okay, well, let's let's pass it off as he was having trouble with, you know, liquid and we won't know one way or the other. You know, I didn't see wet footprints on the apron or anything. Is a good way of covering it up. That's one of the things I wish they'd do more with high spot moves, is make it look like sometimes they go wrong, they do the move wrong, and it costs them, instead of it always being, let's make the most of it, or let's redo the spot, or let's sell a move that 
clearly didn't come anywhere close to me. That was something Sean Walkman was always very good at, actually, as the one, two, three kid. The whole play of high risk, high reward, but also it can... Do you think they get too wedded into these intricate sequences sometimes, where it's like, if it goes slightly wrong, they have to carry on regardless. They, they, they don't feel they've got... Because they've like set up seven moves ahead, they don't have the flexibility in their heads to improvise. Yeah, of course. It's very difficult for some of them when they've got, as you say, all mapped out and planned out so far in advance that... Oftentimes it has to lead into the next move and the next move and the next move. So if you've not got that first one, then everything else won't fall into place appropriately. Not necessarily what happened here, but it, it's definitely out there in the world. Yes. Did you like this match? I like seeing a different side to Will Ospreay compared to the Japanese wrestling Will Ospreay. What's the difference then? Do you know what? I think it's because I can hear him less. <laughs> and having a British crowd, which is always nice. It's always like I, I, I am a bit jingoistic when it comes to things like this. I, I like a into it British wrestling crowd. They're fun. They're like dart. It's like darts crowds, and darts is fun. I would say because he's not doing his like I'm being a dick and telling you exactly how I'm being a dick. I'm calling you a wanker or a little prick thing, or it's being picked up far less. You don't get hammered home by the point you made earlier, Lorcan, in that he's becoming trying to become King Heel. It doesn't seem as patently obvious in this occasion than it does in some of his like recent New Japan work. He then goes and does something absolutely dastardly, full-on train tying to lines in the black and white movies levels, attacks the girlfriend. Yeah, I was going to say, there's nothing much more heelish than that. So, I think what I think you might be trying to say is that what Osprey is offering in this situation is a big fish in a smaller pond. That if you're already like the, you know, you're the you're the main event of Wrestle Kingdom, so they're essentially placing you in first or second position in the promotion, and New Japan is obviously a much more senior promotion to RevPro, that when it comes to RevPro... He's on so many higher levels to any of the native talent there. The story of Will Ospreay is basically, is there anyone who can even come close to beating him within RevPro? Everyone else there who's like a homegrown talent is just too below him. If Zack Sabre Jr. were to beat him now, it would almost be a semi-upset. The guy who he beat for the title, and at that point was like, that was the final hurdle for him to overcome within Rev Pro, but since then he's overcome even further hurdles in New Japan. And obviously, in the eyes of Dave Meltzer, it seems he's maybe the best complete wrestler in the world right now. <laughs> Which is certainly the sentiment of one of the commentators. And also, as well, in terms of like the levels apart, they do focus on the fact that Oku's a cruiserweight as well, and visibly looks so in comparison to Osprey, who has, as we've mentioned in several previous episodes, come up a sum weight-wise. He has bulked up massively. And it's always helped Osprey the fact that he is over six foot tall. So that whilst he was a skinny rake, but even then, Oku's thinner than he was at his thinnest, from what I can recall of this period of time. I'm sure, I'm not sure how old Oku is, if he's probably in his early 20s, maybe. He seems young. Yeah. 
But he has got, like, almost stringy legs and arms. He's almost like Zack Sabre Jr. kind of build, in a way, but obviously not doing as much Zack Sabre Jr. mat work. Yeah, because Zack's, like, using those stringy arms to, like, find that intricate pocket where he's going to, like, tear your shoulder out of its joint, it, it sort of works differently. I was impressed at how much Oku's been able to get a single-leg half-crab over as a compelling submission hold. And he holds it in different ways during the match. There's one point where he's, like, bridging, he's pulling it all the way back, somewhat reminiscent of how um, Mark Haskins, how he does his sharpshooter where he's pulling back from, like, a holding the, the top of the... like, the toes of the feet. But also another version where he's, like... Locked the forearms and that into the joint of the knee as well. I'm impressed by that. The story of the match as well is that he's got an answer for all of Osprey's trademark moves. Yeah. But then when Osprey takes it into the deeper waters and is much more vicious to the point of sadism, Oku can't match him yet. Like Osprey hits a new level. And, and again, the weight comes into it because there's several times where. He throws like a combo of strikes and Will just then levers him with one big strike. It is very much, they do hammer home the cruiserweight versus heavyweight aspect of it. There's sort of a bit of a naivety, I find. Yes. That's how it came across for me with Oku. By using other wrestlers' moves, like going for the Rainmaker, doing the Styles Clash, it's like, well, that specific move worked on Osprey, but not comprehending it's not just the move, it's the wrestler executing it that makes it. Sometimes I think those things are just like a bit of ingenuity to show the situation you were in. I think the Rainmaker's played up as a mistake. Like him trying to get into Osprey's head, he was going to use the move that just beat Osprey for the title Yeah, at the Tokyo Dome. But Osprey had an answer for it because he's taken that Raymaker from Better Men Before and has done that reversal with it. There's a specific line in the pre-match promo, you are not Kazuchika Okada, yeah. and he hammers home that point with that sequence. Yes. I'm going to be a bit negative here. I feel like I'm doing this too much now, um, but I thought the commentary was very poor in this. It was people trying to play commentator like heel and face commentators and both going too far each way the face the pro oku guy was all hyperbolic and the heel guy just kept repeating the same stuff too often oh god if i have to hear the phrase what did you expect one more time i'm going to gouge my eyes out exactly it's like someone should have attacked him afterwards and go, what did you expect what did you expect <laughs> not that not that you prick <laughs> And also, it doesn't help that the quality of their audio is not much better than ours. What is up with the colour flare as well? Did you notice in the background when they have the hard cam on the entrance? Uh, it looks like Predator. How Predator sees in the original movie. Like, the way it's like old school thermovision. I wonder if that's something to do with white balance. Something that I think you notice that they do in indie shows is they'll have someone hold up a white towel before the show into like the hard cam and into the cameras and apparently that gets the white balance right for the cameras yeah i am not smart enough in that field to, to know exactly how white balance works or even if that was white balance but whatever it was 
It was bloody noticeable. Well, one of the things that we've always said we want to do for a future episode is talk about filming techniques in wrestling. And I'd love to get someone like, say, from Riptide Wrestling, which is known for its high-quality filmmaking and production values, or maybe OTT, obviously because of their video packages and everything, to talk about what technology goes into it, what what's a good thing, what's a bad thing. The, the commentary was the big problem for me. Everyone was talking at a pitch. It reminded me, actually, of the commentary as well in the NXT UK match between Dragunov and Volta, where they were at a fever pitch too early into the match and there was nowhere else for them to go. And, you know, it was the same with this match. And I really hated that they were talking over the video package for Osprey, just reiterating what was already there. They should have shut their mouths for that part and then start talking again when Osprey's done his entrance. You don't have to fill the air all the time. Yeah, I completely agree with that point. Sometimes less is more. Just just let the action, or the video in this case, speak for itself. And secondly, because you mentioned Dragonoff versus Volta 2 there, where the table had already been set by all the hype around the first match. No, I was talking about the first match. It was the Nigel McGuinness and whoever the... British commentator is no, very tall guy. Okay, to tweak my point slightly then. Do you think that's a case of commentary teams overthinking their role to accentuate the match and starting to slightly detract from it? I think it's them trying to be Jim Ross cosplay to put across the magnitude of the match and so they feel they have to do that. So similarly, that the heel's job is to just shit on everything. And, you know, if you look at Bobby Heenan, he pick and choose his moments with his heel commentary and making a point. You know, he wasn't always going over the top. I guess the only example you can think of is, you know, Ric Flair in 92. But there it makes sense because it's like a personal connection. Yeah. Jesse Ventura was also very good at that. He, he's mostly like neutral commentary until he points out something that he thinks is hypocritical or latches onto some like a flaw in the logic of Gorilla Monsoon or Vince McMahon or Tony Schiavone or Jim Ross. And you can be a heel commentator without being too dastardly. Taz is pretty good at that. Like if someone's going against Team Taz, he'll he'll go, Yeah, I like I respect this guy in the ring, but I think our guys are better for it or if he's been if they feel been mugged off they're like oh they're a hell of a competitor but we're gonna get them kind of thing but it's like every moment oku suddenly is back in the match it's like is this how it's gonna turn it around is this a moment it's like maybe pick the ones that look the more convincing moments to do it and just you know i'd be curious to watch i don't really watch it with an or listen to it with an analytical ear to the point of like the the ins and outs of it but it would be curious to listen to, like, almost like have a a fever pitchometer for Jim Ross in, like, <laughs> like WrestleMania match to WrestleMania main event. I suppose the best example of that outside of commentary is how Bruce Buffer builds the f- intensity of emotion with e- with each escalating match on the card. Yeah. To the point that when he gets to the main event, he might be having a heart attack. Whilst <laughs> he's announcing them, but he's only the announcer as well. It's not yes. he's not the commentator, and obviously MMA and uh, wrestling are intrinsically different in terms of how commentary is used. Yeah, what well, the role of the commentator is. Yes. Yeah, 
But nevertheless, like, it, it, but he point there's levels. He's bringing it up to the main event. Whereas, like you said, these guys are going, oh my God, is this it? Is he turning it around? It's one forearm. Chill. Just chill. Let things breathe. Come up with it naturally. Don't just rev the engine straight to fifth. Mm. So they make the point of the match being that there are going to be no stoppages. And that obviously plays into the finish. Where yeah. Osprey just starts hidden blading him over and over and over again. as and He's just picking him up before the three count. Were you suspicious, I suppose, because we just so recently had the CM Punk Wardlow match. If at some point Oku was going to do an inside cradle and either get the shock win or... That be the moment that Osprey's like, okay, I'm going to snuff this out now. I was suspicious of it, particularly because there's one time he picks him up, but the way he picks him up is sort of semi Oku, sort of like turning towards Osprey in the way that he picks him up, and I was like, oh, is he going for the inside? Is he going for a quick the, the flash pin there? And I did think, is this Oku's coming out party? How much longer can Osprey hold the title for? Because he's held held it for a damn long time. That being said. A COVID-affected reign, and British wrestling really didn't have a lot going on in the last. Oh two years. boy, not in the ring anyway. Not in the ring. Not in the ring. But I digress. I think when it got to like the fifth or the sixth, I'm like, there's no way he's gonna be hit this many times by a sub finisher, like a signature move, and get a flash. If it was like the first two, that's about what my peak of believing. By five or six, I'm like, you've over-egged the pudding slightly. I think it was one or two too many. Well, one of the things I read afterwards was that in the build-up to Wrestle Kingdom, every Will Ospreay match he was winning, he was winning with the Hidden Blade. And he was hitting it just once, and that was winning it for him. And that is now essentially his go-to finisher, and maybe the Stormbreaker is the other option. But it's more Hidden Blade. Which is always sensible anyway, because, you know, he's not going to be able to do the Stormbreaker on Bad Luck Farley, for example. Yeah. Or Jeff Cobb. Well, maybe Jeff Cobb. Yeah. And also, just elbowing someone in the back of their head is a very convincing way to win a match. And it's bloody easy. Like, no, 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 it's a no-lift finisher. Dream Scenario is a no-lift finisher. Mm. I do like... Osprey has these... Look, Osprey is working very hard to be the best all-rounder. I'll give him that. And in the eyes of Meltzer, it seems like he's achieving that. I feel like he still does things because he believes that's what makes them epic without earning it. But that's the crime of many a person in wrestling now. Like, both of them bleeding. Why was Osprey bleeding after a frog splash into the crowd? I mean, it makes it cut yourself on an edge or something. Maybe, but it was still just such an odd, you know... There's ways of doing that, like a brutal move, an unexpected kick or whatever, dropping him on the apron or anything like that. It coming from, like, the plancher is just not the spot where you get that cut, usually. Yeah. I will say one way in which Osprey got across his vicious heelness in, like, a non-over-the-top way, for me at least, was him literally tearing at Oku's cup. Because that's just like sadism. That's not 
I keep using the word dastardliness or like being dastardly. You know what I mean? The mustache twirling guys who like tie women to train lines. Levels of like pan- panto healing almost. But that's not that. That's just viciousness. That's just like an, an innate animalistic nature to like beat the guy down who's just not dying. That's my opinion on that anyway. I, I think that works. I don't know what, how you feel about him tearing at, tearing at the wound. Well, it's just classic heal 101 stuff. And also an important way to work the cut so that it spreads. I mean, fairly soon afterwards, his by the end of the match, his cut is completely dried off. And Osprey is, like, caked in blood. Which doesn't work. The, the face, it should be the other way around. The face should be caked, really. If you're, gonna, if you're both going to bleed, the face should bleed more. Especially if he's losing. But Osprey brought in that, pushed it to a level of violence as well, that forced Oku to go at him viciously. But then again, you know, if you if you do attack a guy after he hits your partner and you still get beaten by him comprehensively, how good does that make you look, <laughs> really? But again, it's the idea of, like, Osprey within Rev Pro is, like, insurmountable. Maybe if Kazuchika Okada came in for a guest spot and he'd be able to beat Osprey. But everyone who's like a Rev Pro regular can't really come close. And Oku was seen as the big hope. And they did play this up in the epic of it all. And maybe that was that sense of maybe Osprey's going to drop it now because he needs to focus elsewhere. You know, the the Osprey of two years ago is very different to the Osprey of now. Um, Who, we you know, I mean, we could see Osprey kicking a few forbidden doors down over the course of the year. I would not be shocked to see Osprey in AEW at some point this year. I could see Tony Khan's cogs worrying about an Osprey Danielson match or an Osprey Oh my god, an Osprey Ray Phoenix match. That, that's like printing money. And I could, like that's just me like fantasy booking like off the top of my head. There are other options that would involve a storyline as yes. well. But then it's the politics of if he's the new Japan talent, who can they put him against? Who can he lose to? Who can he win against? How does he win? How does he lose? How many dynamites does he appear on? You know. Um, but it feels like it will happen at some point. I mean, at some point, he might his new Japan contract might expire, and both AEW and WWE would just park dump trucks full of money in front of him. I so, could see it. Well, it's inevitable. He's got the height and he is a freak athlete. And he's young compared to everyone else. He's still, what, 27, 28? God, in WWE terms, that's like a fresh-faced 18-year-old, isn't it? In a lot of AEW terms, when you think about, you know, outside (gasps) outside of the four pillars, pretty much everyone else in a prominent role is 30 plus, well, over 35 plus. All of the founding VP figures, the founding fathers, I suppose. True. But yeah, I mean, I do. I am curious who Osprey drops it to. I wonder if it might be a semi-surprise loss to someone like Gabriel Kidd or Yotosuji or Shotaro Umino or whatever in the same way that Jay White surprised Omega for the IWGP US title in his second high-profile match after returning to New Japan. As Switchblade, after his first Wrestle Kingdom loss to Tanahashi, his next big match was beating 
Omega for the US title. And also, actually, um, speaking of Jay White, I did like Oku's Jay White-esque kick out without any real force behind it, but it just happened that Osprey's pin just left his open for the shoulder. Yes. And again, I guess Osprey feels so embarrassed at the move that he's finished everyone with. This upstart who's who's cut him, who's beaten him up, who's lasted 40 minutes in the ring with him. Well, now I'm going to teach you some serious lessons and the ref can't stop it. And I did love actually as well, as soon as the bell rung, the ref literally is shoving Osprey off of Oku so that he can tend to him. Like the referee's disgusted with what he's seen. Yeah. Great moment when Oku's girlfriend just tries to lay in the slaps and it's an Oku family member that pulls her away. And Will doesn't even try and fight back. He's like, ah, I don't care. I don't care what you do. I've done what I set out to do. Yeah, well, he's kind of cold, vacant look. I mean, obviously, because of all the stuff that he does to Oku, you kind of feel like, well, maybe Oku has to be the one to beat him a year down the line or something. But again, it's... Three-year reign? Maybe. Like you say, how long of that year was not spent actually wrestling in Rev Pro? True, true. So, I'm not going five stars for it. I'm just going to find some stuff that Meltzer says. If there was any doubt that Osprey is one of the best wrestlers in the world, this ends it. Osprey did a match totally out of his wheelhouse. He was a pure evil heel. And this would be more of a US territorial style grudge match storyline with Osprey in the role of a better wrestling Roddy Piper. Or name whoever your ultimate heel was from that era. The key to the match was that the two had had a recent match where Osprey won via ref stoppage at 29 minutes. Oku was selling heavily at the end and complained that the ref should have let it go so that at least he would have had his draw with Osprey as it was 30, a 30-minute 30 time limit match. Ah, okay. Oku was clearly the underdog babyface that people didn't really think could win, although there should and no doubt will come a day when he beats Osprey at your call and the place will explode as this match further established him as a star on the rise in the promotion. It went 41-20 and felt like 20. No, it didn't, Dave. No. It didn't. No. I felt every minute of the 41 minutes. I wouldn't quite go that far, but it wasn't quite like... I wouldn't say it dragged, but it definitely didn't... Time definitely didn't fly at certain points. I will say this as well. Another reason I'm not giving this five stars, because I refuse to give a match five stars if it involves a slightly screwed up reverse runner. I swear... I, I A, knew that this would be a point the moment I saw that. And B, that was a hell of a landing. Hopefully all of his vertebrae are fine. I think a lot of people are very much against the um, Hollywoodization of a lot of wrestling now. The post, I'm sorry I love you, world of wrestling. The Matt Jackson yelling at someone for most of the match, world of wrestling. The, and The Roman Reigns, I'm going to like yell at you very slowly throughout the match thing. Yeah. I wouldn't give this one five. I would probably go four. It seems like I'm always like a star below Meltzer nowadays. It seems in general. Yeah, <sighs> there was there was enough. There were enough good innovative moments. There was good work. There was one bit I really liked where Will Osprey was like slowly sitting up or something, and Oku was out of his line of vision, preparing for a big move. And, like, the moment he can finally see Oku was the moment the move was hit. I can't remember exactly what it was in the match. But he would do those little things. There's a more 
self-aware and thoughtful Will Ospreay. Like, if you could put the brain of Bret Hart into the athletic ability of Will Ospreay, you probably do have the best wrestler. Or the brain of Hiroshi Tanahashi in Will Ospreay. Or the brain of MJF in the wrestling ability and the body of Will Ospreay. You've probably got the best overall wrestler in the world at that point. But we'll take what we can with this guy and hope that he will reach a maturation point at some point. I mean, he's clearly trying to make a point of not going off the top rope anymore. The guy that was doing, you know, fucking top rope, receiving top rope hurricane runners and just landing on his feet only a couple of years ago. Less than a couple of years ago, he did that during the match where he beat Ibushi for the title. Doesn't barely use those moves anymore. And when he does, it's that sign of, like, anything you can do, you know... You might be a high flyer, but I can still fly better than you, and I don't even use my high flying moves anymore. Yeah, the, the character is developing in ring, definitely. Uh, you mentioned Hiroshi Tanahashi. I do, I do want to shout out at one point. Oku's, Oku seems to have been possessed by a spirit. Yes. Uh, <laughs> very. Yeah, it was odd. So late into the match as well that he suddenly started doing targeted limb work. Yeah. And doing dragon screws and grounded dragon screws and everything. For a man with a half-crab finisher. Mm. And mind you, he doesn't have a lot of offense in like large chunks of the match. So Did that weird axe handle move that also saw him land on Osprey's calf. Was that meant to be like that? Because it looks ugly as fuck. But it also looked like it hurt Osprey's leg. So, I don't know. I don't, no, I don't think it was meant to be that exact landing but i think it was meant to be that exact move yeah uh but yeah would you give this five stars or what would you give it (sighs) no i won't give it five i'm minded to fall where you fall with it and give it a four it was great it was good no it was very good it was very good it made me want to see more of the oku story it achieved its objectives but not in the smoothest or best fashion and it didn't go it didn't hook me. I talk about that that mystical hook, not that one. How much of that is our lack of knowledge and everything? But then again, you know, when these things get five stars, they attract new eyes. And yeah, and I don't, I don't necessarily buy that because there's been matches from other promotions that I've watched cold as part of this this five star refund that we've gone through, which have hooked me. So, oh, okay. The, st- the story is a factor, but um, truly great matches can overcome that obstacle. Okay, well, I'm slightly surprised to find this out. Michael Oku's 28. Jesus. Is this what happens when you- once you become 30? Like, everyone younger than you just looks like a teenager. Maybe. I did not have him at 28. Not in the yeah. slot. I'd not at all. Not at all. Yeah, well, you know, there's teenagers on the police force now, Simon. I'll have you know. No. <laughs> Or maybe that's just my old, old eyes. <laughs> I did think a did cloud... I didn't think a, where you were going with that. I did think a cloud was giving me the side eye the other day. I gave him a piece <laughs> of my mind. But anyway, if people want to give us more items to yell at clouds over, what? how can they do so for you, Simon? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of boxes of tennies that Will Osprey will have to buy to treat his tennis elbow after all those hidden blades he hit. My name's Lorcan Mullen, that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L 
A for the A in the middle of blade, and N for the N at the end of hidden. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbox. If you're putting out gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtwisepod at gmail.com. LMTWisePod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. For the next episode, I promise you, if Dave Meltzer will stop giving out five-star ratings, you will hear us talk about South Park and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and their two episodes about wrestling. <laughs> Is this the, which was the one that we have kept having to put off for ages? Uh, match of the week. I know we got delayed like three about. times. It was an insanely long wait. We actually did a whole, we did a little package ahead of it, wasn't it? Yes, I wish it I got could like, remember. It, it got delayed. I think for at least a month. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll talk about you know, our, our more Arden fans will remember. Oh so, yes, you know. The when ultras. We, when we, the when LMTYS we, ultras. When we get an ardent fan, we'll let you know. <laughs> and no, Simon, your mum doesn't count. Oh, my mum doesn't know what... My, my, the day my mum listens to a podcast is the day I think I get terrified as to how f- far ahead in technology we are. Because for my mum to... My mum only just mastered emojis on texts. That That's her technological level. So she gets to podcast level... We're literally, like, teleporting. That's where we're at. The reason she's got one of those carpal tunnel syndrome hand things is not through typing, but through her use of a rotary phone. <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't know why, but I, I thought you were going to make a joke about her wanking strangers off. I don't know why that's where my mind went. That's too much time in British school playgrounds, that is. Yeah, and also, you've told me too many horror stories of your childhood, so I didn't want to reopen that wound. But anyway... <laughs> Well, I walked into that, didn't I? <laughs> and your mum... Wa- no, I won't go there. <laughs> but until the next time, thank you for letting us tell you something. My name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. And we hope you have a five-star time and that you leave Simon's mum a five-star review. <laughs> until the next time. To hold